So hello, Denim Heads, and welcome to the fifth Hangout with the Sons of Selvage podcast, where a group of friends get together to talk about denim and related interests. Each episode, we'll go through current interests, a bit of the news, a discussion topic. This episode, we'll talk about looking after your indigo and leather goods, and a Q&A section. So you've met us all in the past, um, so let's just jump right into current interests. So guys, what have you been up to recently? Right, I've actually been quite lucky in getting hold of quite a few items recently um i think the one that i probably should talk about first uh was something i should have mentioned on the previous episode but wasn't able to so on episode three when we spoke about craft brands we like i mentioned uh one called tactonic which is run by a former uh german paratrooper who makes a lot of military uh themed accessories and the like um and this was, he sent me after we, we mentioned it, he very kindly sent me one of their Mark 10 document pouches, which is made out of uh, an old Ventile um, immersion suit used by, um, I think it was German uh, Air Force or German Navy uh, rescue teams on the helicopters. So it's a fantastic bit of kit. Um, this is probably my most common phrase at the moment. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of A4 in size, lots of space in there. You can fit your, you know, your, your tablet in there uh, for um, people like myself, Tom and David who are into kind of our, our, our board games and tabletop gaming and stuff like that. You'll happily fit a big uh, A4 hardback rule book in there or a, you know, a coffee table book, something like that. It's really sizable. It's got some extra bits. You know, you can put your pens in there. Uh, it's wet, weatherproof. Uh, yeah, you know, he, he sent me it very kindly and I've been really impressed with it so far and I can't wait to start using it uh, more and more once we're actually able to leave our houses and go and do things. Does it fit a clutch magazine? I don't own a single clutch oh, magazine. You so, oh, yeah. No, I don't. But I reckon if it can fit um, a hardback rule book in there, it can fit uh, a clutch magazine in. Nice. <laughs> Isn't there an issue with you guys in it? Like at the Clutch Cafe in London when that when it launched or something. I think our faces appear in it a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've been Actually, there four yeah. times now. Yeah. All right, celebrity. Look at that. Yeah. I mean, I've browsed through it here, and there's a store here in uh, Sydney, Maple Store. They they have it as well, and I remember like browsing through it. I'm like, oh, hey, I know these guys, <laughs> and you're all in it. <laughs> I actually, did, I actually did a throwback this week with uh, Andy and um, Sebastian, um, mm. which was from the uh, one of the clutch issues. Yeah, I think, um, awesome. you know, if you're not too into like, you know, getting every issue, I think at least like the lightning denim ones are a really good read because the amount of like, you know, kind of vintage um, archival stuff they have is pretty nuts. Yeah, is it, like... Sorry, is it quarterly? Um. Yeah, I think the kind of standard, like the Japanese editions are quarterly, I believe. And then every six months they do the men's file joint issues. Uh, so okay. Half in English, half not. <laughs> Fair is. I will say that Nick Clements is a, a great chap, like a really, really nice guy. Uh, super cool uh, getting to meet him in person. And his men's file part of the magazine is, is fantastic. And yeah, uh, I remember... I remember that clutch party and I, 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 I don't speak much Japanese, but I've definitely heard the photographer say um, a couple different times after I was in photo shoots, he's like, oh, these are shit. I got to throw these away. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you won't see me in the clutch. Magazine. It was the lighting. It was the lighting. I'm sure yeah. <laughs> he loved your outfit. <laughs> 
I think I was going to talk about a couple of films, but again, going back to kind of the stuff I've been able to get my grubby paws on recently, I think the next thing that's really worth chatting about is I may have bought myself a Breitling watch. You're mad, man. Yeah. May have? <laughs> may have. Well, I say may have. Explain I, I, further. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd had my eyes on uh, a Breitling for a while. Um, so kind of the long story of it was when I was still in the army, the unit I was in uh, for my last kind of job had managed to get a Breitling made for them. It's quite a common thing for kind of units all over the world. They'll get uh, a watchmaker to do a slightly specialised version uh, you know, of, of a, a normal watch. So I could have got a Breitling, but back then I balked at the price um, and didn't. Instead, I ended up buying the Chris Wood that they did, which was, you know, actually I loved to bits. Uh, so I've always had my eye on one. And then they released the um, Super Ocean 57 Heritage capsule collection. It came out very recently. Um, and I was like, right, well, we'll wait until next year. Um, obviously, the once kind of if, if if i get a bonus at the you know kind of for the end of the fiscal year and it's decent enough and i can put some money to one side then i'll get myself this watch um and then i found out that as it's a capsule collection it's literally available for this year and then they're going to stop selling it so i uh delved into my savings and took the plunge and uh picked myself up the uh version with the mesh bracelet which is um, absolutely gorgeous. I've got it on my wrist right now. Um, don't know if you can see. Ooh. Uh, obviously, the people who are listening won't be able to hit, see this, but um, it's a really nice uh, throwback watch. It's based on um, kind of the old dive watching designs from the kind of the 50s and the 60s. So it's quite laid back and chilled. Uh, and it's not got all the kind of clunky extras that you see in a lot of more modern dive watches. Um, and you know it's nice and simple so yeah that's been my big buy and uh my bank account has been hurting ever since someday i'd love to get a bell and ross watch oh uh, man someday did you someday, go in store someday. to buy it or i ordered it online um uh, which oh. led to all sorts of fun and games with my bank not allowing mm. the payment to go through because it was uh mm-hmm. you know it's so big yeah um and that was only the yeah, it's the deposit. I mean, this was this isn't. We're not talking kind of double di- double figure or even high single figures on the thousands. This one, but it is you know probably the most expensive thing I own after my car. Um, so fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, but so yeah, it was a bit of a, a ball ache to get it. However, one thing I have to say is their customer service is awesome. They're really, really good. They keep in, I mean, you kind of have to expect it if you're, you're buying high quality, you know, kind of something, this kind of value. Um, but, you know, second to none, they'll call you up. They'll let you know what's going on. They'll tell you where it is. They'll tell you when you're going to, de- it's going to be delivered, um, you know, and you know, they'll happily talk you through. Because I called them and said, you know, I, I was conf- concerned about potential fraud going on on their end. And it was, it was literally just, uh, like a, a typo and it got sorted there and then so yeah really impressed with their um their customer awesome. service yeah i mean I, I think it comes back to i think we talked about it in episode one where we chatted about you know buying your first pair of jeans mm. and what you 
would you buy it in a store or would you um, buy it online and things like that? It's interesting that you, you purchase this online as well. It's something that I wouldn't necessarily purchase online anymore. Like back in the yeah. days, I would, I would, but now I would like want to go into a store, try it mm -hmm. on, see how it looks on my, on my wrist. And yeah. Like that, you and, know? and I, I agree there, but um, I think in, in a perfect world, I've been able to do that. But the fact that, you know, we're in a full, of course, why you know month-long lockdown and at the time i bought it, it was just beforehand and we were at you know we mm. had we've got a tier system over here in the uk and uh, the nearest shop for me was in a, a tier three zone so it was just not going to happen no go yeah no. all right that zombies. makes sense then yeah indeed yeah, zombies <laughs> everywhere mate all right um yeah. I'll, I'll go next um I don't really have anything uh, too much to report on since our last episode um, because we have been uh, on a big road trip here in, uh, in Australia. Um, we've driven cross country from the south to the north. So we started in Adelaide, um, made our way down even further south to an island called Kangaroo Island. Um, and then once we did that, we drove all the way, probably about five and a half thousand kilometers up north. Um, so it was absolutely one of the best trips we've ever done. Um, we've really come to fall in love with road tripping since we've moved uh, to this side of the world. We've done New Zealand a couple of years ago. We did um, an island, Tasmania, just off uh, of Australia last year. Um, and now this, this big one. Um, so just under 6,000 kilometers of, of driving. Parts of it was four-wheel drive. So it's pretty cool. Um, although it, a lot of it was just corrugated roads, so it's fun for two minutes and then the rattling of the car uh, just gets really annoying. But, um, but like the scenery we've, we've gone through was absolutely insane. Um, like obviously all five of you are on the other side of the world, but if you do ever uh, make it over here, um, I would definitely recommend to at least do the Northern Territory. Uh, which is where your famous um, landmarks like Uluru are, or Ayers Rock, as it used to be called. Um, absolutely, yeah, just like mind-blowing. Um, it's just like a massive, gigantic rock in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere. Um, hours driving from society, civilization. Um, so, it's, yeah, it was, it was absolutely amazing. Um, and I actually wore my jeans quite often as well. So I'm obviously doing the uh, Indigo Invitational fading competition uh, with my Momotaros. So, um, I mean, I did skip a few days here and there because uh, there were a lot of 40 plus degree days um, on there. Um, but I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the humidity you get, the closer you go up north because you go tropical. Yeah, the um, more unbearable uh, it gets. Uh, I've swapped them for shorts for a few days, but I did wear them every now and then. Um, even some days just for photo shoots and things like that, you know, you want to take a few pictures in the desert with your jeans on, then uh, you got to suffer for a few hours <laughs> until you get the perfect one. So, um, yeah, that's the main thing I've been doing, really. Um, and any the other thing, like, we, uh, we've rediscovered Friends on because it, it recently came back on Netflix here in Australia. And we've been just binge watching Friends, and like I, I've never really watched it like as hardcore as other people did when I was younger. Um, but just rediscovering it now is it's just so good. I just completely remember, forgot how good it is. I remember a couple of years ago I was walking through Stoke Newington, and there was like a Friends festival, 
in the middle of the parks. They had like a big giant tent set up and like, you know, big, big, like, feel, you know, inflatable projector screen. And they were like <laughs> showing like back to back episodes and like everyone was in costume and that's supposed to be some wow. kind of like star uh, appearance. And I was just like, holy shit, man. I didn't realize was, it was like, was it the monkey? I don't know. I don't know if it's still be alive. That'd the only th- only star I'd be interested in. Just get a capuchin monkey in, and there you go. Yeah. Look, <laughs> I was playing The Last of Us. Uh, still, from time to time, and yesterday there was a, a cameo by a bunch of monkeys. Maybe it's like the same monkeys that were on Friends. <laughs> <laughs> Digitized. Is that The Last of Us two, or are you playing one? I'm still playing the first one. Uh, I'm, I'm so far yeah. behind. Yeah. yeah, I need I need to give that another try. Oh, I keep sorry. thinking it's over. I'm like, yeah, I beat it. Oh uh, wait, it's just oh. another season, <laughs> which is big. It's good value for your money, and I got it for like ten pounds on like you know PlayStation Four greatest mm. hits, whatever. Mm. But uh, yeah. Anyone bag the PS Five yet? No, don't think anyone has. <laughs> no, I've got I've got a, uh, a couple of mates back up north and they're massive gamers and they picked up both the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. And the Xbox. Wow. Yeah, All I gotta say bought... is... I'll wait. Switch for yeah. life, man. The Switch is so kick-ass. Yeah, I've never uh, I've never played Switch. Oh, it's so uh, good. I just play so, so Overcooked good. too, which is an annoying game. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, frustrating. I don't, I don't have it yet, but there's... um. Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity which just came out which is basically I don't know what you call the genre but it's the kind of game where like you run around and you basically just fight like hordes and hordes and hordes of baddies it's from the um, guys who make Dynasty Warriors yeah they did that but like basically working games. with the uh, the Zelda team yeah, yeah it good. looks like pretty nuts it's, it's good sweet so um, kind of the first bit of news, I've uh, taken delivery of some very nice wool socks for United Overalls Co. Mm. Um, which they are like, I, I was actually like, because I kind of looked at the supplier and there's a couple of us kind of umming and ironing about. But I went for these guys because they seemed pretty reliable and kind of the service they were given was really good. Uh, really, really helpful guys. Uh, they're the Bradford Sock Company. Um, and then when I got them, they were absolutely beautiful like they're not super thick boot socks not like kind of the red wing really really thick gray ones um but man do they keep your feet warm i am just like i've got them on right now and i'm just like almost sweating out because it's (laughs) almost too warm um so they're like super super comfy for like you know wearing with trainers boots whatever um and we'll just like keep you warm no matter what uh, seriously soft I kind of based the the colors on like the idea was like the stitching and selvage colors of my jeans so you got the orange the yellow and the white um but now I just call them pear drop socks because they remind me of the little pear drop sweets like similar colors yeah so that's why I unofficially dubbed them um so yeah yeah they're they're a really nice addition to uh, the brand I think um I had one of my mates design the logo and the packaging and stuff so kind of trying to still keep it all uk based and actually i was looking at um like getting the packaging done and it's the day that i was i'm in an iron about it i got an email being like oh hi we're um blah 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 packaging from uh bristol <laughs> like one of those cold call emails i was like huh it's the only time it's been useful to me amazing <laughs> you, got, you got me this time <laughs> yeah i was like 
I do need packaging. How, how did you know? <laughs> you psychic, weird people. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then kind of outside of clothing and denim, uh, started a new job um, working for Octopus Energy, uh, which is like a UK-based renewable energy company. Yeah, they're pretty. Awesome. Yeah, nice. they're pretty nuts. They're um, like super, super like left wing of like corporate companies. They're kind of challenging the big six energy companies so very like kind of consumer rights based they want you know the cheapest tariffs possible for everyone um there was like some government legislation that was kind of like capping energy prices kind of over this furlough crazy times so none of the energy companies could charge customers ridiculous prices um and apparently like all of the big six were just like no we don't want this cap we want to charge people more (laughs) even though they've got less money um so yeah, it seems like a pretty good company and enjoying it so far. Just customer service based. So yeah, it's kept me busy. So I've I've been in quarantine um, in December. So I've just been keeping myself busy with uh, reading books, um, listening to books, and uh, and the two that I've uh, I'm on at the moment is um, I've just finished. Um, the Sandman adaptation, the audio um, adaptation, which is fantastic. Um, I would almost say it's more like a action audio book as um, there's, there's, a, there's a cast for all the characters um, and it stars some fantastic um, actors, including James McAvoy as, uh, as Morpheus, um, as well as Neil Gaiman doing the actual narration of uh, of the book, um, so I I originally read the uh, the comic maybe six years ago, maybe a little bit longer. Um, so I had forgotten some of the some of the things. So it was really nice to go back into uh, into the world and um, uh, just re-experience that again. Um, definitely recommend. Um, people to check that out, even if you haven't uh, read the the comic books. Um, it's uh, it's a really cool journey to to go through. So um, that's that's one of the things that I've uh, really enjoyed. Um, I'm also currently reading the current um, Avant magazine. Um, for for those of you who haven't come across it, um, it's a biannual. Uh, magazine um, and so far it's covered uh, military wear, um, American workwear um, and this new edition f- um, focuses on French workwear um, and has some uh, really interesting um, interviews with people who are um, in the scene uh, like vintage dealers um, um, and places like the vintage showroom um, so that, that's that been really um, interesting to um, to read. Um, I've also just uh, released a, a blog post um, covering um, The Printer's Devil, uh, which is run by Stephen Kenny in Hackney Wick. Um, he has a letterpress and he's been um, releasing um, posters and prints uh, for quite a few years now. Um, and you probably would have seen some of his uh, COVID-19 posters uh, that he's done this year. Um, and yeah, it was it was fascinating to meet him this summer. Um, 
and to make a little film um, and interview um, with him. And yeah, you guys can check that out on uh, uh, my blog, which is on uh, illcults.com. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I've been busy with. It's interesting because I just started listening to the, the Sandman audio drama. Um, I started reading the comics, never finished them years ago. I've got the whole set, but just never finished them. Started reading uh, the comics. Nice mug, by the way. <laughs> uh, got the Kinto cup going. Um, and uh, I was like, man, this, this uh, narrator guy sounds so much like Neil Gaiman. That's really cool. <laughs> I didn't realize <laughs> it was actually him. Because you look at the cover... It says like Dirk something, and I was like, oh, okay, it's some Dirk dude. I hadn't realized they actually got Neil Gaiman to do it. That's that's even better. Yeah, so uh, Dirk uh, Mags is the um, the director of the uh, of the audiobook, and yeah, like yourself, it took me a little while to um, to catch on that it was actually Neil Gaiman who was doing the uh, uh, the narration to it. Um, I didn't really look at you know beforehand who the cast were, um, but I kind of started to pick up voices uh as i was listening i think oh i know this one um and i think i'm, I'm quite a big fan of james mcavoy and i think he does a, a great job as, uh, as morpheus yeah but my, my girlfriend's never read the story so i'm trying to kind of like explain it to her as we listen to it and it's, it's quite funny to to realize how confusing it is to sort of explain the sandman concept and all of the kind of story and stuff and so i'm just kind of like just listen just keep listening and she's like but wait what the blah, blah. And so it's, mm. it's it's a it's, it's a bit of a hard one to get into, but it's such a cool story. Cool, I guess I can go next. Uh, so first things first is uh, I'm super stoked to finally have a Apollos uh, Indigo wool tour coat, uh, which I managed to, to, to get my hands on from Ilya. Um, super interesting story, Apollos. They, they started out making kind of like ethical garments years ago, you know, either like weaving their fabrics and sort of small towns uh, in third world countries that are trying to improve their their local economy or different things like that, you know, kind of like fair trade type principles. And they started making like really good um, garments out of a fabric that's like cotton polyester wool blend. So they call it wool, but it's, it's just like 60% wool. Um, and they did like a chore coat, they did a blazer. And I managed to get the blazer in indigo and the chore coat in black over dye some years ago, uh, but never got the, the indigo chore. Um, they're Los Angeles based company, by the way. Um, and it was really interesting because um, out of nowhere, you just like stop seeing their garments on shelves. Um, and I was in LA for work, uh, actually last December, so about a year ago. And I went to the Apollos uh, headquarters shop, whatever you want to call it. Um, near 316 in the arts district with the intention of buying one of their tour coats. It's like, I can't find them anywhere else. And I was talking to one of their employees and he was saying that basically they started making these market bags, which are these kind of like woven jute grocery bags with like leather handles. And that the, 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 I think they're called their market bags were so popular that they basically turned into I think something like 95 to 99% of all of their sales revenue and their entire clothing business, like jackets, shirts, jeans, everything was like less than 5% of all of their revenue. And so they basically said, screw it uh, and sold off their entire clothing business to Japan. Um, so in theory, there still is an Apollos Japan clothing company, but like the American Apollos clothing company just doesn't exist anymore. Um, 
and they just do market bags, which in my opinion are pretty lame. Uh, I, I don't see any interest in buying a, a jute grocery bag, <laughs> but I, I get I get why it's cool for some people. They've even gotten into like silk screening them so you could have it like printed on the front, whatever you want it to say. Um, but it's a real shame because they were made some of the like best garments I've seen construction wise. Like the blazer is like my go-to garment if I need to dress up for like a business meeting or something. Um, and uh, their chore coats are just like super clever, the pockets, the the buttons, all that stuff. But um, unfortunately, they don't exist anymore. And so the only way to get it is on Grailed or eBay. Or if your buddy's got one in his closet that he doesn't wear, and you can convince him to sell it to you. <laughs> um, so, so that's cool. And then the other thing I want to talk about is uh, less of a current interest, but more of a, a current event. And that's, um, man, I am really struggling with lockdown right now. Um, my partner's on the shielding list. So she's got like a medical condition, which means uh, COVID is really, really dangerous for her. Um, and so we've kind of basically been avoiding people since lockdown started originally back in March. Uh, and I think this second time around, or, or maybe now that it's getting back into winter again, I'm like really starting to feel the toll of like not being around people for almost nine months. Um, I do like a family call every week and then like been playing board games left and right. Like I just got this game called Etherfields, which is like a, Guillermo del Toro meets Alice in Wonderland kind of adventure game, uh, which is cool. But with the exception of like, get up, go to work, play a board game, paint some miniatures or like watch TV, it, it's feeling like all the days are starting to like blur together. And it's really kind of like starting to do my head in a bit. It's so I thought to see if like how you guys are handling it. Is it everyone like mental health wise and, and kind you, of wellness wise? Are you allowed to get out of the house at all? Yeah, we we bought a car. We bought a car uh, over the summer, and so like I, I've actually recently learned to drive stick, which I, I didn't know how to do, uh, and drive on the other side of the road, which I didn't know how to do. So that, that's pretty cool. And uh, we do hikes every weekend, but it's like during the week, it's like, oh, it's November now. Oh, it's it's uh it's another weekend, and it's just sort of like everything's kind of blending together. <laughs> yeah, no, I I. I definitely get the same my wife in particular um because we've got a seven and a half month old so her ability to go out and about is been extremely curtailed um she doesn't drive i'm the only driver but i'm working during the day um and with the new month-long lockdown we've got now she isn't able to meet her kind of antenatal group that she had so it's now postnatal group um, which was a really good support mechanism for her so once a week she was able to go and hang out with them for a few hours and just kind of um, be with other people bar me um, and the little one um, so yeah she's found it hard for me um, my way of dealing with it has been trying to get out in the garden or in in the drive for you know, 40 minutes every couple of days just to do some work with kettlebells, just to kind of burn off any um, any kind of anxieties or um, stress, which is kind yeah, of worked. I found, um, I found the Freeletics app kind of mm -hmm. covers me on the workout front and also having that kind of regiment where it's like get up early, work out, do my work day, eat a nice lunch or a nice dinner. <clears throat> but it's just interesting. It's kind of like, 
I, I guess the, the last lockdown, it was kind of like fun and like, hey, this is great. I get to stay at home and not go into the office. And this time around, it's like, shit, I wish I could go to my office. <laughs> or like, yeah, it's almost like the monotony was was novel last time. Yeah. Uh, but now it's kind of like, it's just monotonous. Um, yeah, we've kind of like done all our local walks and stuff. So we're like, oh, what should we do? Oh, let's just like, you know, go for a walk. Where? <laughs> The same I, place we always walk. <laughs> I've been cooking and baking as well, which has been yeah, helpful. Really I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's actually a good point because our kids hit in weaning at the moment. So we get to just try out all these little recipes that we can all have together um, to, to help them get prepared for eating proper food more, um, how, especially because, you know, sorry. How are your brownies? Uh, the ones from yesterday weren't the best, actually. Um, not. More like a tray bake. Um, but I think that was just the tray was too big. Um, last time I made them, they were brilliant. But yeah, I, like stuff like that has been really good fun. Um, you know, it only may take up half an hour, an hour of my time, but it's just that little thing. Yeah, anything yeah, that feels I, a bit of time yeah. is, uh, is good in mm-hmm. situations like this. Yeah, I've gotten into sourdough baking for kind of the same reason. It's sort of nice because like one day you got to do this thing, next day you got to do that thing, another day you got to do this other thing. Um, and I got the River Cottage uh, Guide to Baking, which is like a little like 10 pound little small book. And it's like, it's so awesome. Uh, I definitely want to check out more of their books. We've got this book, um, What Mummy Makes, which obviously is, is a slightly... Uh, sexist title uh slash daddy <laughs> yeah because i'm not right yeah um what but, about yeah, daddy uh daddy sits in the corner and uh gets grumpy no uh yeah so i actually do most of this um i really enjoy it and you know they're really simple little meals that you can all eat so oh yeah if you can get hold of it i recommend it okay cool so i'll jump in uh yeah so firstly uh i'll apologize to all the listeners i'm slightly hungover this morning um and the reason, why, <laughs> the reason why is uh, since the last episode, I've basically moved house. I sold my house. and I'm now in a flat share. Uh, so I've gone from living well, on my own with my girlfriend to uh, sharing with other people, which basically involves drinking more. So um, I'm not my sharpest, but otherwise I've been uh, doing quite a bit of sashiko darning. So uh, those of you who follow my Instagram, you'll have seen. I'm going, to show the, I'm going to show the guys my crotch. The listeners at home will post it onto the Instagram. Oh, very nice. And nice Ashiko hey, as well. Yeah, He's saying nice cool. my crotch or the Sashiko, Tom. Uh, 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 that's right. Sashiko, Sashiko. Are those that famous so pair of Levi's much. you talk about? Uh, yeah, this is just a, this is not, this is a really old pair of Levi's that I've had for years. Uh, salvage, but nothing fancy. But I've just every time they rip, I've been like doing more and more sashiko on them. So um, they are, I think, looking pretty cool now. It's like a, I spent about twenty hours on hand stitching these guys. So and I'm just going to keep going and keep going. So I quite like the fact that I'm saving another pair of jeans. Um, and otherwise, the other thing that um, I have done recently is I bought. I mentioned a couple of episodes ago. Um, I bought a pair of. Levi's Rodeo Clown jeans um, and I stupidly managed to buy the Wrangler version um, since then so I've got a pair of 1980s uh, Wrangler Rodeo Clown jeans 
which I think they've got the the back rise is about 40 inches or something stupid like that. Um, anyway, so it's basically just more dumb stuff that I'm spending my money on. But I will, again, we'll put a photo on the uh, Instagram feed um, at some point. But that's about it, really. That's my life. So I haven't got much to add, so I'm going to keep it short and sweet for this one. They're going to come up to my armpits, they are. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's no, no, Next time we do an in-person meetup, you should just dress up like a true rodeo clown. Oh yeah, I probably could actually with all the with the, with the plaid shirts and the ridiculous jeans, big old cowboy boots. Oof. And do like a Swiss jean freak and wear two jeans on top of each other. I wear could. <laughs> I could with my ridiculous. I somehow accidentally started a collection of oversized jeans, and I'm not really sure how it happened, but I seem to be accumulating more and more. So I've got a pair of the Levi's ones, which are I think a 75 inch waist. So I've got, which are the, the, the giant um, Levi's. So a 75 inch waist, 46 inch inseam, um, which Levi's used to make. Um, they're not wearable, but they used to make them as a display. Like they used to kind of give them to shops as like a display thing. And I've got a pair of them. Um, so I've kind of now got this collection of just gigantic oversized jeans that no one can wear. Um, but yes. Next time we go out, we'll have to like you in one leg, me in the other leg, and we'll just hop everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's definitely the way for the, for the next denim hang. I've got enough pairs that we could all kind of wear like a, le- a leg each. Like a potato sack race. We put like two people in. <laughs> yeah. To race across the pub. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, that has been my life. So I'm going to keep it short and sweet and then go back to you, Dave. All right. So, one sec, um, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, yeah, I just wanted to say um, from the last episode when we were talking about um, the global denim hang, I just want to apologise to uh, some people. So I mangled a load of names when I was talking about the chat from uh, the uh, women working in denim and retail. Um, one in particular is uh, Miriam Parkman who is the weaver who was involved in the Indigo Ferro women's range that got re- released uh, not long ago. I called her Miriam Ethel. Uh, that's actually her Instagram handle. Her surname is not Ethel, it's Parkman. And I just want to apologize for that because uh, uh, I was really not on top form that episode. Well, thank you, Randy, for the uh, correction there. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> All right, so let's jump over to the news. I saw that um, 316s rolled out a couple new garments. I know a lot of folks out here, um, 316s a great kind of first enthusiast jean. So sort of like you bought your first pair, uh, you kind of get ready for something that's a little bit more of an enthusiast garment, but still quite accessible. Um, so that's pretty cool. They've um, rolled out a new fit called a classic straight. So they've had slim straight for a while, the SL fit and the classic straight's like a more of a looser um, straight fit jean. And it's uh, exclusive to a shop in Kansas City, Missouri called Guevel, uh, G-U-E-V-E-L. And um, it comes in like their, their double black denims. So that's pretty cool. Uh, then also I saw that they've rolled out a collaboration with Blue Owl called the uh, Gold Rush jean which is um, based on their standard uh, unsanforized indigo white uh, denim. Uh, I think it's narrow taper and 
um, classic taper cuts, so kind of quite a slim taper, a bit more of a relaxed taper. Um, gold line salvage and uh, it's like pre-rinsed and stuff. So that's kind of cool. So it's, it's always good to see them um, rolling out some new styles. And then also uh, they've all gotten into the hardware side of things, the sort of like everyday objects that people might want to own, um, but with 316 branding. Uh, so Ilya and I <laughs> have been drinking from Kinto travel tumblers, which are like these awesome little uh, insulated mugs. Uh, and I saw that 316's kind of come out with a branded version of that or like a branded lighter and a couple other bits and bobs. So that's kind of cool um, to see them sort of bringing out some other stuff. One more thing to throw out there is uh, Andy made me aware that, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Flathead slash Real Japan Blues have brought back uh, their collaboration gene with Rivet and Hyde, which I think Ilya owns a pair of. Um, that's pretty cool because I know uh, Flathead pretty much I guess I went out of business, but then somehow were rescued and um, got back into production. So it's kind of cool to see that they're uh, even getting back into collaborations with um, you know, Rivet and Hyde. Ilya, do you still have those jeans? I, yeah, I still own those uh, those jeans. I've got them uh, stored away. Um, they're a little bit on the small side for me at the moment, um, but that's mainly because I've kind of gone for more straighter cuts um but it's it's definitely a pair that i'll jump back into at some point um it's the denim is absolutely beautiful i think if you've owned any of the normal flathead um pairs um this version is just like a super amped up version of that um super slubby um plenty of character um and yeah fantastic um fantastic pair of jeans yeah and i'm also happy that flathead are kind of out of bankruptcy what it looks like um i think they've recently opened up a store in tokyo again uh, and they started to release their kind of the core basics including flannels um t-shirts and uh, and their jeans one more bit of news too i'll throw out there is um I don't know if I'll get this episode edited and, and published before uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend begins. But um, this weekend, you're obviously going to see the really big name brands, you know, uh, or big name shops doing discounts on uh, on goods for the Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. But just want to mention that as a podcast, we really want to draw your attention to the small independent brands and shops. Um, to be honest, they're probably not going to have discounts this year because everyone's struggling to make ends meet during the pandemic. Um, and in, in fairness, if you can pay full price for something from one of these independent brands or shops, it's worth doing just because you'll help them uh, have that little bit of extra cash in their pocket to survive um, till the end of the, the pandemic. Um, so yeah, just to kind of really try and support the local guys, try and give them that extra dollar and, uh, avoid some of the bigger box uh, shops and, and, and stuff. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, that pair of headphones or like PlayStation or Xbox, whatever, it'll be on sale in spring anyways. So if you can put that money, uh, the, the holiday money towards an independent brand, all, all the better. Yeah, I think the only Black Friday sale I've seen from any of the brands has been um, Whites. They're doing 20% off on their boots directly from their website. And that's really about it. I guess when you're buying direct is pretty good because they 
in theory, get better margins anyways, because they're not going through wholesale. So like that, that's, that's probably a good shout. Um, but even something like, you know, Blue Owl's got 20% off their entire store and um, they're, they're quite a small retailer. And so it's like, yeah, that feels pretty good. I guess it's all about just kind of thinking about how much you're actually going to help the owner of that business versus just kind of like, you know, I don't know, um, giving your money to eBay or whatever, but uh, I'm rambling. So I'll, I'll move on. <laughs> cool. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into the discussion topic. So today we're going to try and cover two, uh, two things at once. Cause it's, it's sort of related. It's basically how to look after your indigo garments and your leather garments. Um, and I don't say specifically de- jeans and boots because uh, the, the advice we have on indigo is, is more generalized and can apply to any indigo garment. And the advice you have on leather could apply to any leather garment, whether it's like a wallet or a pair of boots. Um, so it's gonna be a bit of a round table. We've got a list of uh, predefined questions and uh, we'll jump right in. So I guess for the first question on indigo is how should you store your indigo garments? So I, I personally would say that anything, any jeans that you're currently wearing, it's probably best to hang them up uh, by a hook or something like that, um, or hanger, whatever you, you prefer, whatever space you have. Um, try not to fold them away in a, in a wardrobe or cupboard, um, especially if you're looking to get specific fades on them. Um, I think once you've worn a pair in, and they're faded in and uh, you know, you've, you've put in some good time then, I think feel free to fold them away and, and store them that way. But if you've got a, a fresh crispy pair, then it's probably best to hang them up. Yeah, it's worth noting that when you fold a, a pair of jeans, like fold them into threes or, or whatever, that um, if they're quite new and starchy and they've got a crease in the way you folded them, it can get permanently set in the jean. And then you have like a vertical fade uh, from where it was folded in your in your wardrobe for for six months, so um, definitely got to be careful of that when it's new. I mean, I only have one pair in rotation at a time, so I just kind of dump them on the floor <laughs> at the bottom of my bed, and then Absolutely just take out the in. So it's not too much of a problem for me. But like, kind of all the ones that I have like worn and like trashed, I do kind of just fold them and whack them in the back of the cupboard. But they do get a bit whiffy because they're kind of stuck there there's no kind of oxygen moving so if you do kind of like fold them away then before you want to wear them in public <laughs> maybe just right. hang wash them up them. and let That's them air thing. out yeah yeah or even just wash them you know well i think before you out. store them i think before you store them it's probably a good idea to give them a wash if you're, yeah. if you're not going to wear them for a, a period of time just uh give them a soak or something like that and then uh yeah store them away Definitely. Yeah, you, you, don't, you, don't want get... to con- you don't want to contaminate other pairs either. So uh, <laughs> um, it's, it's yeah. Denim Corona. I've seen quite a few pairs on like the Facebook raw denim group, whatever we're like, or Reddit where someone really wore a pair of jeans, like full of, you know, human growed and then like put them in a wardrobe and then they come out and they're like covered in mold spores. Yeah. And they don't know what, <laughs> they're like, why have these jeans got moldy? Well, they're full of your sweat, mate. <laughs> yeah. I paid 200 pounds for these. Also, probably a good good thing to avoid uh, kind of storing them in near sunlight because um, mm. that will will fade them as well. So, yeah, that's a good point. A lot of people don't know that indigo breaks down over time in the sun. It's like if you look in a shop window, they've got like a jacket or jeans hung up for a long time. The front mm. will be bleached out, and the backside will still be dark. Um, well, like when they find like 
kind of really vintage pieces that have just been sitting in the shop and it will be like the square of like the front where it's folded is completely white so you've just got this like faded patch at the front and then the rest is still like deep indigo it's hilarious so don't do that <laughs> or do i guess it's a, un- it's a unique look yeah, yeah, yeah. Patch, <laughs> patch fades. <laughs> We've started a new thing, guys. Patch fades. Do it. <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, if we're if we're silly enough to be rolling around in the sand at the beach, you know, it's not that much of a, a leap from exactly. That. <laughs> um, I've never done beach fades, but uh, Kevin might be able to tell us more about it. <laughs> no, I try and I try and stay away from the beach in my jeans. It's too yeah. hot. Also, the sand it will basically ruin your jeans. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, not yeah. a good it's, idea. It's not specifically on the question list, but one thing people don't realize is that all of the like dirt and sand and and junk that like gets in your jeans, if you don't wash it out with some regularness, that all that grit basically becomes sandpaper and it essentially just destroys your fabric. So the longer you go without washing your jeans the more gunk you build up on it and people are like, Oh, it's great. It helps them get fades. It's like, well, yeah, but it's also like eating your denim for lunch and uh, ruining your, 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 your nice investment. So I uh, got to watch out for that, especially sand. Um, next question is how to wear in uh, new indigo garments. So you got something brand new. It's chock full of dye. Uh, what, what do you want to do to be careful with that new garment? Don't lean against white walls. Or sit on uh, white chairs yeah. or white yeah, couches. So, yeah. <laughs> you will stain everything. Um, pretty much anything that isn't dark colored or blue, you'll notice it. I, I've turned a pink couch purple. Um, just <laughs> not, not by doing anything special, just sitting on it. Um, it'll happen. Yeah, You've just got it. <laughs> Play PlayStation. I love yeah, one thing to make exactly. sense is... Um, <laughs> One thing to mention too is if your garment's at all sweaty, um, like your new garment, you, you just wore your jeans today, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's going to make the the crocking process, which is the indigo coming off of the garment process, uh, that much worse. Oh, yeah, you had that. Remember when we bought those US indigo t-shirts and yours properly caught you on the pits? I had, yeah, I had Smurf uh, armpits <laughs> for a couple of days. And yeah. um, funnily enough, I, I recently bought some pair of um, Shiza Revival um, boxer shorts, white. <laughs> and I, I started wearing them with my TCB uh, new pair of jeans. And yeah, those uh, those nice white uh, boxer shorts. Not white anymore. They go, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, but it's, it's all part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah. I wasn't I mean, expecting you, want... you to say they were white. <laughs> I thought the story was going to be a completely different story there. <laughs> I, 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 I have, have um... uh, on. Oh yeah, I was got a bought a pair of Ecru uh, RGT jeans a couple of years ago, and I was like so stoked to see if I could do like reverse fades, where I get a bunch of indigo onto them and like kind of make them all sort of beat up looking. Um, and it's kind of awesome to be like, yeah, I got all these blue marks from my shirts and my jackets and like I'm getting this kind of cool re- reverse fades um, until you wash them and all the indigo comes out <laughs> and then you got a pair of white jeans again. It's like, oh, right. Yeah, I was about to say, if it's like just clothing, the indigo can wash out pretty easy because the amount of times I've worn uh, white underwear and they're just blue by the end of the day, um, especially like, you know, if you get caught in rain, 
and then it will just soak all the way through and just ah oh, what i'm sure i had white underwear on today <laughs> uh, but it does wash out pretty easy so don't be too scared about that yeah vin- vinegar is your friend uh for getting indigo out of out of clothing um it's it's, it's pretty powerful in its ability to like remove the indigo from something that shouldn't be on and also like if you wear um new jeans with a pair of uh light colored boots you'll get like an indigo ring around the top of the boot where it's the jean sits on it um but saddle soap which you can buy for like any leather product is like a, a soap and conditioner uh it works wonders for getting indigo stains out of uh leather garments great advice <laughs> that's a good that sounds though. sarcastic. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 it was great advice. Just like Aussie. <laughs> great, Did you man. work somewhere? Then? No, what that is is that's a uh, that's Dutch people telling you how it is. That's mm. David Shares. And they and don't sugarcoat so. anything. Uh, <laughs> that is true, though. <laughs> um, next one I'll jump on to is uh, how to dry uh, indigo garments. Like we talked about, obviously, watch out for leaving stuff in the sun. I know on a past episode, we talked about watching out from uh, tumble drying your garments because of it, putting creases in them. Um, anything else you guys could think of about how to dry your indigo garments? I literally hang them up in the hang shower. Dry. Yeah, yeah, hang dry. I just use the hooks that I use normally to hang them in the wardrobe and then just stick them in, in the shower, like on the shower rail and just leave them there and they'll be done within about 24 hours. Don't put them on a clothes horse because you'll get marks there from where they're uh, against the wire, uh, yeah, just hang them up. If you could do it outside because it's not too sunny and it's not too sunny, do that or put them in an area of shade because you'll get a, you'll, you know, they'll dry quicker in a ni- on a nice day. But yeah, just just hang them up. Always avoid putting them on a heat source because that's going to mm. shrink the fabric up loads because uh, it's a natural fiber. Any heat is going to shrink that fiber up like if you burn your air. Um so yeah, don't deal with radiator or something like that because you'll find they're going to be pretty snug around the old uh, waist. <laughs> also be prepared to put a bit of um, leather conditioner on the patch if you've got a leather patch because that will dry quite nastily if you're not okay. careful. Um, some patches I've noticed are worse than others. Um, so things like the patches you see on US jeans are actually quite resilient and don't really need much work. Same with Samurai, but say the really heavyweight patches that brands like Ironheart use, um, you need to get some condition on them because those crack really quickly. Yeah, it's a good shout out. I've, I've lost two patches that way on a pair of like Ironheart uh, collaboration jeans with the Rivet and Hyde. Just having them hanging on a closed horse, I think you called it, just kind of near the radiator not, not on it, but near it was enough to make the leather start to crack and like lose the kind of nice and buzzing. Um, and then um, I've seen many cases where someone's put the patch directly against the radiator and it like shrunk up to about a quarter of its original size, uh, ruining the patch. And I, I should also add to you that um, I was really lazy one day and I just used hot water from the kettle uh, to, to soak some uh, on Sanfari 316s I had bought uh, and I, and I basically we all cringed then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I don't know why I did. I was like, oh, it's faster. Fuck it. You know, and I just like basically grabbed the kettle. I mean, it wasn't boiling hot, but it was still hot. Um, I was like, oh, well, it's, you know, it was boiled earlier, so it won't be too bad. But nonetheless, I completely ruined the, the leather patch on, on my jeans and had to cut it off because it shrunk so much that it was like pulling the jean out of shape. Uh, but then I got replacement patch and like hand sewed it on stuff so it was, it was a cool journey 
but uh, I felt like a real idiot. And all of the like wax treatment that is in the veg tan leather had like gotten into the jean. So it looked like there was like permanent uh, fluids <laughs> on, the, on the garment. <laughs> David. Uh, it took a long time to, to wash away. Um, well, like what you're yeah. essentially doing is boiling leather because it's wet and you're making it super hot. Um, and that's like, you know, what they used to make armor out of. So, you know, heating up wet leather is just not the way to go. And I find like some brands use like a, a drier veg tan leather than some others. You know, some of the others feel like a little bit more supple. So maybe that's got something to do with the drier it is, the more it's going to shrink up. A lot of the Japanese brands use deer skin uh, yeah. instead of cow. That's the um, traditional Levi's. That's preferred, patch. the preferred way i think the i think i think the big uh you know the, the jerky kind of uh, patches are nice to look at but they're not really practical i think i prefer the uh the deer skin the patches yeah but you and guys just they feel nice you can kind of rub your butt and you're like oh that's a nice little patch um <laughs> <laughs> uh, like i'm wearing at least you know what you right do now. by yourself <laughs> and i got my hand down there right now it's all, all nice and <laughs> nice and uh it's, it's very different. It's like it, the patch is enjoyable in a way that like those big fat veg tan patches aren't. It's like, oh, I've got a whole wallet on the back of my jeans, just like stuck there under my belt. Um, anyways. Um, yeah, I guess one, one other thing too is maybe uh, how to kind of shrink your denim um, successfully. I know we talked a lot about kind of washing and drying in a previous episode, but we didn't really talk about what you want to do if you want to get the fit right. There's crazy things like, wash your jeans and like and dry them with you wearing them versus not blah 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 and what, what are y'all what are y'all's thoughts on how to um shrink and to go garments well i always like um a story that a customer told me a norwegian guy who um you know back in like the 50s when he went to buy them he'd go to his local clothing shop uh buy some levi's 501 shrink to fit and then he'd go outside where there's like a little outside shower shower off in the freezing cold and then by the time he walked home it's all just frozen and it's dry again and fitting perfectly <laughs> not not that i'd recommend that too much uh you'd look at maybe a little bit weird walking down the street in wet jeans but uh usually i just gangrene from the waist down <laughs> <laughs> and just frozen solid like <laughs> um yeah usually i i size up um cold soakum so I know that it's only going to come in an incremental amount as opposed to coming in too tight. If you're going to go fully shrink to fit, if you like it looser, then size up, size or two. Um, but if you want kind of quite a snug custom fit, then maybe like, you know, an inch up and like sit in them so you know that nothing seriously bad is going to happen. It's a great shout about cold soaking first because it'll make the garment come in less. So like you could, if you, if you buy something shrink to fit and it's not huge on you, if you cold soak it the first time, dry it, see how it fits. If like, mm, this is way too tight or way too loose still, then you could try a, a hot soak the second time. Um, but if you hot soak it from the very first time, you know, as the garment's going to shrink up as much as it can do. Uh, and you might find that a jean that seemed a bit loose when you were in the shop, uh, after you've hot soaked it is, is way too snug feeling. That being said, it will break out in the areas where you need it to almost an entire size. Uh, but yeah, so I've been surprised when I went straight for the hot soak and so I usually kind of room temperature soak it first. Uh, and then also 
it's a good measure for hot soak. If it's too hot for your skin, it's too hot for the, for the garment. I think it took me three goes to get my samurais down to the fit that was right for me. And that was cool soak and then a warm wash. And then I ended up under, from Tom's guidance, I put them in a hot machine wash and that just got the final bit of shrinkage out. So yeah, it's yeah, definitely incremental. Yeah, it's don't, always don't safer. be afraid. Don't be afraid to wash them or soak them multiple nah. times. So yeah. And you're still uh, looking good, Andy. Like they look like they're still kind of gonna get sick fades. We'll see. What's everybody's thought on the kind of crazy thing people do where they like soak a garment and then they wear it so that it breaks back in in particular areas. So like you like walk around in a wet pair of jeans. So or, I was just I was just about to say that on this. Uh, so since I'm part of the Indigo Invitational fading competition, there's like a Facebook group as well. Uh, and one of the guys, Steven Snyder, I think he's Denim yeah. Rambler on um, on Instagram. Like he lived, he lived, he used to live in Alaska. Fucking amazing. Um, he lives somewhere else. I think he moved somewhere tropical now. But so what he wrote on the on the Facebook group was that yeah he he always does the same thing um he first does a hot soak and stretches them in the tub whilst he's sitting in the bathtub still then he stretches them after the tub and then he walks or hikes until they're dry but like he lived at that time in Alaska so imagine walking your jeans dry in the like ice and snow I mean that's pretty hardcore. I would. Just, oh, he he, uh, he does plunge pool washes and stuff mm -hmm. out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, yeah. The guy, yeah, the guy is dedicated, to say the least. Yeah, I think uh, you know if, if you're into it and that makes you happy, then great. You know, get some good posts and stuff. But it's really unnecessary, and you know, jeans should be a, a comfortable, easy experience. You know, they were never designed to be super annoying to wear um so you know that that's why like a cold soak for me is just piss easy it's the least amount of stress you hang them up in the shower and you're good to go all this kind of like you just don't need to be that uncomfortable in them yeah i agree yeah, with that me. what i normally yeah. try to do is is try them on in the store in a way that if they shrink a size down try the size that you want you know, you want the fit to, and then buy a size up um, or something like that. Like that's, that's what I normally try to do. And if this, if this size that you normally wear is not comfortable, um, go a size up or whatever, or if that's then not your fit, then that's probably not the pair of jeans for you. Try and find another pair. There's like thousands of them. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm like usually at the 30, 31 and I took a 30, two in my brand just because i wanted the extra room and you know i want plenty of space to get stuff in my pockets you know wallet in the back pocket and stuff so mm -hmm. you know there are going to be those people that you know have to wear them super super tight because they want the highest contrast fades and they'll do all this crazy stuff and you know they'll believe all these kind of mad crazy theories about the best way to take care of your jeans and you know roll around an asphalt or whatever but just wear them <laughs> to try not to think about it too much mm. 
Yeah, call me lazy or call me a hater, but there's no way in hell I'll ever do anything more than just like wash them and hang them up and then put them on. <laughs> like I'm not going to ever do any of that sort of like yeah. jump around in the bathtub stuff. Um, on that note, let's talk a bit about leather goods. Um, so I think first things first, before we get into this, it's worth mentioning that leather boots in particular are not waterproof. <laughs> um, yeah. The inspiration for this conversation is we saw someone online who was uh, showing off how tough their red wings were and they could walk in the ocean with their red wings on, um, which is basically like intentionally lighting. It's, it's not much better than just like lighting your boots on fire. Um, but <laughs> so please uh, remember leather is not waterproof. Um, but I guess starting from the top, uh, how do you guys break in your leather garments? Wear them and walk about in them. To be as yeah. blunt as possible uh, um, with a pair of boots. I think my very first pairs of uh, Red Wings, I ended up under the guidance of a, a friend of mine because it's something he'd been told was to put uh, mink oil on them a couple of times before you start really using them. Um, would I do that now? Maybe not as much um, because it can, it can effectively drown the leather with too much... Um, conditioner however it did do the trick and it actually made the break in a lot quicker but yeah it's just put them on wear them around it's, it's like buying any when you buy any shoes don't you? you you do small distances first use them around the house or in the back garden or when you go and do your shop and then you just slowly wear them more and more and go further and further and further at least that's for boots i, I mean i don't only leather jackets or anything so that's down to some of the other people on this I think it's the same with other leather mm. products. Just use them. Yeah. Everything will be stiff at the beginning, you know, like you can treat it whatever you want. It'll be it'll be stiff. Just walk around in it, use it, a wallet, start using it, put some money in it, you know. If you don't have money, paper, put some paper in it. Whatever. Yeah, my <laughs> my first pair were Iron Ranger eight triple one. So it's like a little bit of an oily leather to begin with but i'd heard about mink oil in them and i did it does help but there are it will kind of increase the chance of more unnecessary creasing that sets in um and like red wings generally are kind of very hardy boots so they can be pretty hardcore to break in most of the time i feel um while with some other brands that maybe use like hallween leather which is very soft um my thoroughgoods which have an inner soul they're really easy rms are like straight out the box the comfiest things ever um so kind of it really depends on the brand um you know kind of red wing is very traditional and you're going to get the kind of same experience as like classic shoes um like you know kind of northampton made shoes and stuff so l look around at kind of what the advice of other people give that have had the same product um and go from there uh wearing thick socks always kind of helps from the beginning as well um and if they kind of stretch out a little bit too much you can always slip a little insole in and kind of fill that gap in so that's been my experience anyway i think one one piece of advice is you know don't over condition your boots uh, especially at the beginning of their life um they're already if you're buying something like you know uh, a red wing boot it's already gone under so much uh, tanning process. It's got lots of oils inside. 
um, you know, you, you don't need to condition them for, I don't know, I would say a couple of months, unless you're doing something like getting them in water or in the sea or, or something silly like that. Um, then, then you will will need to condition them. Otherwise, there's there's plenty of um, opportunity for you to walk around and do stuff with them. Um, so yeah, don't don't over condition your boots. And yeah. some, oh sorry, go on, Kevin. Now I was gonna say like um, the first global data hang. There was actually a talk by one of the guys from like a German Red Wing store, I think. Maybe it was in the US, but like he was like explaining the whole history of um, uh, of Red Wing and, and the rest of the talk was all about boot care and like how to take care of your boots. And he was talking about the fact that Red Wing have two kind of um, two types of leather. One is an oily leather, which is your like the majority of your like mock toes and iron ranges and all that kind of stuff. And then they also have like non oily leathers as well. Um, so it's also with those kind of type of letters, like don't use any oil on them, obviously, um, cause that will ruin them as well. Um, it's a bit like sweat. If you put like stuff on that, that'll ruin, ruin your shoes as well. So, yeah, uh, which was an interesting talk. And I think it's on YouTube. So if anyone's listening and is interested, go to the global denim hang YouTube. And I assume it's on there. Yeah. I was going to add in there. Um, yeah, like you said, we suede, rough out leathers, suede, new book, and uh, waxed flesh generally don't need much look, much uh, work on them. I mean, you can get cleaners for them specifically, but that's really about it. Don't condition, uh, you know, things especially like new book, don't condition or polish it because you'll ruin it, as I found with uh, a pair of um, old US Marine Corps issue Dana rats that I managed to pick up very cheaply. Uh, and I wanted to darken them because um, to be able to wear them in the army, you had to have brown boots. You couldn't wear desert boots anymore and it wrecked them. And I've coated them and tried to remove the polish with saddle soap, uh, alcohol, isopropyl alcohol, all sorts. And while the majority of it's gone, it's still there. So they are now you know, a pair of boots that I would have probably worn quite a bit to be in boots that I wear around the garden to do housework. Admittedly, they only, they only cost me half half a crate of um, pop, so it wasn't too bad. <laughs> you weren't like trading packs of cigarettes for them, <laughs> mate. Pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah, it's worth noting that uh, I think if you if you look after your leather goods, probably like once a season, that's probably more than enough. Um, you know, with with Cremexel and uh, Shell Cordovan they've got so much oil in them and wax that if you just like not, don't wear the garment for, I don't know, a month or two, you'll begin to see kind of a white haze on the top of the garment. And that's like the actual wax and oil coming out of the leather. There's just so much in it. Um, so yeah, it requires very little, very little treatment. And especially to any of the like really shiny leathers, people think that you need a lot of conditioner to like keep it shiny, but actually all the, le all the oil you need or wax you need already in the garment and oftentimes just like buffing it with a, a leather brush or like a leather cloth will bring back the shine without any actual product um, being needed for that. Yeah. If you want kind of like a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week taking care of boots, it's just brush them, get all the dirt and crap off of them. You know, anything that might be damaging to the boots, obviously, you know, don't, 
walk in the ocean like <laughs> a certain Instagram post did. But if you're just wearing them day to day, you know, brush off all that dirt and stuff, try and get into the well and everything like that, you know, kind of get rid of anything that needs yeah, to come a, off. A, but a good the, brushing, it, it will be better than uh, most things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just you don't need that conditioning like, you know, every other week or something. You know, I, I've seen some people like, I've had like customers come in with RMs and like the conditioner is caked on to the point where you could like, you know, peel it off with a knife. I'm just like, what are you doing? And this is with the oily leather that they do. So I'm like, uh, 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 what have you done? They're like, oh, you know, they're, they're starting to crack and stuff. It's like, yeah, because you literally like put so much oil in that the leather is like fit to burst and it's like the creases have just, yeah, ruined them. Absolutely ruined them. Um, so I gave them a talent off. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Like brushing your boots is something that's good to do like almost daily. Like every time you wear them, like it can't hurt to brush them. Um, but one thing that uh, is quite different from denim is, you know, a denim, you could buy one pair of jeans and just wear that same pair of jeans day after day. Um, but buying, if you're getting into nice quality footwear, you unfortunately probably need to buy two pairs. Um, because one thing that is a, a huge no-no for leather is that wearing leather day or like back to back is actually really bad for it. Um, so people often buy a pair of like Red Wing mock toes. They're like, yeah, I've got my Red Wings. And then they wear them every single day and they basically destroy the leather. Um, so unfortunately, when you get nice boots, you, you don't ever want to really wear them back to back. You want to give them like a day off. Um, so trying to have two pairs, if you can afford it, um, is, is, is a huge help, or even just like wear your sneakers on off days, um, like your, your vans or your Nikes, whatever, um, and giving your boots one day for the leather to recuperate, throw some newspaper in it, or like a shoe tree on that off day, um, will make them last so, 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 so much longer than if you wore them every single day. Yeah, and like the over-conditioning can damage the way that the boot breathes naturally. So I found that when I got my Iron Rangers and I was like kind of conditioning them a lot, um, I did take them to Iceland, so they kind of needed a bit of an oil after that. You know, it was mid-January, so <laughs> knee-high snow was uh, probably not, not good for them. Um, but kind of the oversaturation of oil stops air naturally being able to pass through them. Um, and I found they got like, you know, a bit of mold in the inside, you know, where they're just like basically like a box of moisture, warm air from your feet. And yeah, it's just not good. But ever since I've like kind of pretty much stopped conditioning them, they've been fine on the inside. So, you know, gained, regained that natural ability to be able to breathe. Lex, have you got anything to say? I've noticed you've uh, been... <laughs> happily watching and observing i, I am <laughs> no, i'm still awake and i'm just sitting here and listening no, no i've been i went to the red wing store a few years ago in london and they had a go at me for over conditioning my boots i say had a go at me it wasn't bad but yeah no so i've learned the hard way that, that it's kind of quite easy to I don't know, kind of get into over-polishing and over-conditioning them. And actually, like they got, as Tom said, they got too oily and they didn't do very well uh, from it. But no, I am still awake and I'm here and I'm listening. But uh, <laughs> so I, I, mean, I had a, a similar, oh, sorry. <laughs> I had a similar experience with Tom with boots going moldy. Um, so this was a pair of, I think they were Altberg 
sneaker boots. So these are a, a pair of combat boots. Back when I was a uh, young platoon commander doing some training before going on operations. And the obviously in order to prepare to uh, operate in a, a summer climate in Afghanistan, where temperatures get up to kind of mid-30s, low-40s, uh, we were running around the frozen wilds of Yorkshire in, uh, in January. And I ended up standing uh, in a bog. And in fact, one of my one of my guys fell in the bog up to his chest, and I put the boots in a bag and just forgot about them until about three months later when I was like, actually, I'll need these because we've got another training exercise going on, and uh, they were they looked like they were made of hair. There was that much mold on them. Uh, it, they were savable. It was all right. I was able to wash them off and uh, I do a lot of conditioning. But yeah, if boots get manky and wet, you've got to save them pretty quickly. Yeah, I've had um, a few issues of just keeping my um, boots in like a cold room mm. that like a little bit of mold spores can like start to grow on the the um, the midsole, like so like the leather ring around the the, the welt, I guess you also call it. Yeah. Um, I, I use a little bit of like mixture of water and malt vinegar to like kill the spores and then like saddle soap after to clean it. I don't know if that's like best practice or not, but um, it seemed to do the trick to like keep the mold off the boots. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a good point that like whether you get mold on your denim or mold on your boots, like nothing's ruined. Um, but yeah, you gotta look after it. Yeah, I think it's it's important to keep your, you know, your leather goods in a temperature, which kind of a room temperature. You don't want to keep them outside out of your door kind of in the cold. Uh, for long periods of time um, and at the same time you don't you don't want to put them next to a heater either or next to a fireplace because it can it can damage uh, them as well the shape the creasing and all those kind of things um, so that's definitely something to keep in mind because I know I know some people do keep their boots outside and that's just a, a quick way to to ruin them yeah great heuristic I heard at one point was um, you know boots are basic or any leather good is basically the skin from a mammal and we're mammals with skin like would you do that to your own skin if so it's maybe okay for the for the for the garment but if, if not um you probably shouldn't do that like you wouldn't leave yourself outside in winter or you know you wouldn't uh not wash the sand off yourself after you go to the beach etc so but what do you guys um, think about like shoe trees and the benefits pros cons they're great. I mean, if you get a unsealed shoe tree, so one that like the wood is, is shaped into the tree, but it's not like painted or, or lacquered, this is kind of like unfinished wood. That's great because it soaks up the moisture. For, the wood takes the moisture out of your leather and helps it dry. Um, and then also if you've got a, a shoe without a fully structured toe, i.e. the toe doesn't have like a piece of uh, cellulite or plastic inside of it, um, the, the shoe tree will help actually really for any leather shoe, the shoe tree will help the shoe retain its original shape. And so I think having two good shoe trees, which is probably like a $20 investment is a great thing. Um, and it helps you with that rotation too of like, actually you only need one shoe tree, one shoe tree to put in your shoes on their off day. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a good uh, investment as well to have them. Um, I know some people like to have uh, the toes flattened on there, uh, unstructured, 
uh, shoes, so they probably wouldn't uh, want to put them in there. But I think for the good of your shoe, it's probably good to use them. Um, and well, if you, and if you yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not talking yeah. about that guy who runs them over with his truck, are you? <laughs> no, I haven't seen that one. I I'm sure seen you that. sent me it. The guy who gets his no? engineer boots and flattens the toes with his like going over oh, with his truck. Oh, you sent it me ages ago. Okay, it was, I don't it was rem- painful I, to look at. I, I don't remember that then. But um, yeah, I wouldn't advise that. Um, <laughs> but if 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 you if you are looking to have that kind of you know the flattened toe and. Uh, you don't want to uh, put a shoe tree you can always still put some newspaper in there um, which you know you can kind of control how far it goes into the into the boot Um, but at least it will soak up that moisture after um, you know after wearing and if you get shoe trees that are anatomical in theory they should do no more to your unstructured toe than your own foot would like if you get one that's got like a natural foot shape in theory it shouldn't change your your unstructured toe but there, there are some there are some boots like the you know the the Weiberg 2030 loss which is really uh, flat, um, so that could maybe impact depending depending Weibergs. on depending on the boots and depending on the uh, on the tree, um, yeah. the shoe tree. Yeah, it's true. Weiberg does I think on almost all of their boots do a semi structured toe, which is like it's like a piece of cellulo cellulite cellulose. I forgot the term for it. So it's kind of slightly plasticky, but not not hard plastic. Um, so in theory, even the 2030s shouldn't lose their toe shape. Um, but yeah, yeah, it can be a problem. Um, one side note, so you, you guys mentioned someone driving over, uh, their engineer boots. Um, interestingly, when I bought my first pair of raw denim jeans, my dad's like, oh man, why the hell are you buying those kinds of jeans? I thought they stopped making those. And I was like, no, no, like raw denim jeans are like, it's a thing again. This is like 10 years ago, whatever. He's like, Man, I tell you what, we used to buy Levi's back in the 70s that way. And they're so damn uncomfortable that like we'd put them in our in my driveway and drive back and forth over them in my uh my 69 Camaro. <laughs> I was like, you're kidding, right? And he's like, no, no, I'm serious. And that's like how they used to break in their raw denim jeans back in the 70s. I feel like they're the same type of people who now would put their jeans in the freezer. <laughs> Oh, it seems kind of badass though to like have like a you know a mean muscle car and you're like rrr, 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 like yeah <laughs> yeah and I guess like you know, this is the time of like the Ramones and stuff like that so yeah they probably didn't know like, better yeah. you know yeah yeah I mean it's it's kind of some some cool it's a cool mental picture of what that must have been like even though it probably ruined mm. his jeans they didn't have a podcast to listen to for advice so you know yeah. Everyone press F. <laughs> <laughs> um, one last thing too that we didn't cover is uh, wearing your boots uh, in snow. Um, so it's worth mentioning that um, actual snow itself, so like the you know frozen water, isn't such a big deal for for leather. I mean, like obviously you don't want to submerge your your boots for too long, uh, and you can get um, water stains along the bottom of your boot, but. Uh, what people most people don't know is that the um, the road salt that they use to like melt snow or melt ice, that stuff's like really 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 bad for leather. And it's oftentimes people will wear boots out in snow and let them dry, and they'll still get these kind of like permanent marks on the leather. Um, and that's usually where the, the magnesium sulfite, whatever it is, the road salt, got in your shoe and basically just destroys the leather. Um, 
So when it's like mega, mega snowy or, or really nasty outside, I'll usually just wear a pair of sneakers instead, um, like a pair of Vans or something, just because it's, it's a, this magnesium sulfite so bad for the, the leather. Yeah. But I guess, again, after wearing your boots, um, you could uh, wipe them down. Yeah. Yeah, because, well, I like... mean, if, if it's really cold and snowy, you might not want to wear your uh, your Vans or something like that. Yeah. The best thing to yeah. do would be wash, like, wait for them to dry completely first, wash them in warmish, soapy water to get rid of the saltiness, let that dry, and then, like, condition, uh, give it a good brush afterwards, and that's the, the best way to minimize as much of the damage as possible because my iron rangers when i took them to iceland um you know there's so much salt everywhere because you know they actually salt their roads properly <laughs> um the kind of on on the inside of um the arch of the foot there's kind of like a little dryish patch that you know there's a tiny little bit bubbling and that's just because i didn't know how to treat leather when it's got salty um so avoid it <laughs> and you know wash it and you know get it clean as quickly as possible straight after and by wash i assume you mean like wiping them down with just like a cloth and some soap and water right uh, yeah maybe you know use something that's kind of uh, like a, a dish brush or even like a, an old toothbrush or something like that you know and kind of like really scrub it out with the soap um because the soap's the only thing that's gonna like kind of really draw it out and clean it for good um because there's all kinds of shit in uh, road salt as well you know it's not just salt it's dirt and crap and good stuff. and you know all the crap that kind of exhaust fumes leave in the um the snow and everything like that you know so there's so much crap that you need to wash out of it it's crazy yeah i've heard that using your annoying roommate's toothbrush works best <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> Sorry. I was gonna call it. <laughs> I was like, oh man, that was a shit joke. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just like wow, you don't like the remote. <laughs> <laughs> well there's the um also there's the method of using shaving cream as well to clean your boots. Yeah, um Ilya knows this. So there is a guy on Instagram called Vintage Engineer Boots. He's a mm. uh US Marine master gunnery sergeant something like that and his preferred method of cleaning all his boots and i think he might do it with his jackets as well is to use barbasol shaving soap it seems to be it has to be barbasol which is pretty much impossible to get over here and yeah he he slathers it on uses a toothbrush gets it deep in there and gets all the dirt out kind of similar to using Hmm. uh yeah i guess it must be like quite a basic shaving cream because essentially shaving cream is just mm. very bubbly soap um but I, i'd imagine yeah. you know some of the kind of more mainstream ones would have other kind of perfumes and stuff that maybe you wouldn't want on your jacket yeah. I, th- I guess it's if like you buy old school one yeah all the old school ones that you would use with like a, a shave brush they have glycerin in them which is why mm. like you, you whip on your face and they can use like a straight razor or like a double-edged mm-hmm. safety razor and it glides smoothly like I don't know, but maybe it's something about the glycerin in the old school stuff. But um, yeah, Vintage Engineer Booth, he's a, he's a cool dude. He looks like he was kind of like teleported from like 1950 <laughs> yeah. to, to modern day. So um, he seems like he really knows his stuff. 
Cool. Uh, I guess should we should we jump over to, to question and answers? I realize we've we've talked quite a lot about um, looking after your indigo and your leather goods. Um, so starting from the top, uh, we've got CZA underscore GV who uh, sends us questions regularly. Thanks for doing that. Um, and he asks, uh, how do you create a denim community in a place where denim is not too popular? I think this is a good uh, question for David and Kevin to to answer. Oh geez. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I mean, I don't know like how on unpopular or not popular denim is in or was in London. Um but yeah, I mean like I think we talked about this before, like the reason I started Walnut London or Global at the time, um, was because I thought I would go, you know, move to a big city like London and you'd bump into denim heads everywhere, and that was not the case. Um, and that will be probably in any city, town, village, wherever you live. Um, that'll be the case. Like you will, you won't necessarily straight away notice or see the people that have the same interests just walking around or sitting next to you in a pub or whatever. Um, so I, I guess it's like, for me, it was just like creating an Instagram, trying to find people in the same area um trying to find events or things like that that are going on which are um related to um to the denim community um and it doesn't necessarily have to be a denim specific event but it could be something i don't know around motorcycles or um or god knows what anything that's slightly related to to denim you you might find people there who who are who have the same interest um a lot of people might be like into denim, but not necessarily know straight away that they're into denim as well. So uh, maybe you need to spark that or, or, you know, try to get that out of them at, at those kind of, kind of events. Um, that's kind of like the thing that I would, I would recommend doing. Yeah. My personal advice is whenever you see someone, you know, in the real world, like maybe they're standing in front of you at, at line at the hardware shop or the grocery store, just like reach out and put your hand on their butt and say, Hey buddy, I recognize your arcuates. You like raw denim. And then, <laughs> that is extremely and forward. And then find yourself on a red that's how we do it. for the rest of your yeah, life. That's how you do it in America. Yeah. <laughs> At least buy him a drink first. Like, please. Um, uh, I think the best thing is just to go online, whether it's Instagram or Reddit or you know Facebook. And um, if you engage with the online community, you'll inevitably find or connect with folks who are in your local area and, and have that same interest. Um, that's the beauty of these social media networks as they connect us uh, across the world. Um, I think no matter where you are, you'll find someone who's got your interest, but uh, jumping online and kind of putting a shout out like, hey, anyone in, um, I don't know, Abu Dhabi into to raw denim or like, hey, anyone in Antarctica into uh, boots, like, you know, you'll inevitably find someone that's uh, got your, your interest and in start building a community together. Cool. So next up from uh, Buster the Human, we've got the question of synthetic indigo dye mix or pure indigo dye. So usually pure indigo is a little bit lighter in tone, um, while synthetic indigos have other chemicals added to it, which can give it a darker hue uh, you know, it really depends on kind of what the mill has done to it. Um, you get like kind of green cast, the red cast, stuff like that. So for me, it's personal preference. I don't really think one's 
any better than the other. Um, I, I, th- I think from previous experience, pure indigo sticks to the cotton fibers more than synthetic. So you, it, it's a slower fading process as well. But I have found that they do look kind of that kind of very classic kind of 30s, 40s, very light fade style. So personal preference, really. Yeah, I think there's um, there's an interesting sustainability element where like there's a lot of debates around what's better or worse for the environment. Like I guess with, you know, synthetic indigo, you're mixing a bunch of crazy chemicals to make it in a factory, whereas pure indigo, the actual dye itself is is quite good for the environment or harmless for the environment, but to get pure indigo or to or natural indigo to stick to cotton, you've got to add a bunch of crazy chemicals to it. So I don't know, maybe in a future episode, we can have someone join the podcast who like actually knows this stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, I had like a little kind of home kit for indigo dyeing. So it was like a, a natural South American indigo dye or something like that. And you get these two little bags of other chemicals and it really whiffs. And, you know, in the instruction manual, I say, oh, don't stick it down the drain or whatever. Um, so, and, and synthetic indigo is petrol, basically. So... If we run out of petrol, then we run out of jeans. Think about that. <laughs> no. Stop uh, driving your cars. Yeah. <laughs> we need it all for the jeans. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, I think there's pros and cons for both. If it's just in terms of, like, you know, what kind of jeans do you want to wear and what's your style, then personal preference. Um, certainly synthetic is a lot more available. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. I was going to say, Lex, what have, have you used any pure indigo at all? No, no, no. I've I've, I've always wanted to do indigo dyeing, but it's not something I've, I've ever worked with. But it, my understanding is the majority of genes, like 99.9% are synthetic these days. So mm-hmm. I've never really kind of, I guess, up close and personal with... Uh, with natural to know the difference yeah and like gene brands have been using it since the 1880s 1890s so it's not like one like pure indigo is the better purer more authentic it's actually not it's the opposite it's worth noting too that pure indigo and natural indigo aren't necessarily one and the same um pure indigo will often mean that it's like the dye either way synthetic or natural is like is um as pure as can be in the sense that like there's not as many not many additives or not much stuff mixed in with it like blue dye or green dye um whereas natural indigo specifically means that it's dye made from indigo plant leaves um so even then you'll see a garment where it's like pure indigo and it's like but wait pure synthetic or pure natural and so it's it's, it's quite complicated um and you've also got the other problem too where the number of passes through the indigo dye will dictate somewhat how the garment looks. So like oftentimes a, a denim, an indigo thread will be dyed like five times, but sometimes it could be six, seven, eight, ten, And that will often kind of dictate the darkness. And then you've got whether it's Hank dyed, which is like someone like literally doing this in a bucket versus, which I think rope dyeing might be kind of the same thing versus machine dyed, blah, blah, blah. There's a a billion different uh, variations. So I almost feel like at the end of the day, you should just base your decision upon how much you like the look of the fabric. 
Cool. So uh, next one would, is a question from MXN underscore boots underscore boy. Uh, and he asked, uh, would a podcast about denim and heritage style in Spanish be a good idea? Yeah, go for it. I don't speak Spanish, but. So there's, there's, there are scenes all over the world, so it makes sense. You'll get yeah. listeners. Um, you know, Spread if you think there's enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah especially Spain and Portugal, you know, are quite big manufacturing areas. So quite a lot of brands make jeans and all sorts over there. So, I yeah, but the Portu- in Portugal, they speak Portuguese, mate. Uh, yeah, but I'm sure I'm sure they know a bit of Spanish. Like, jeez, like, I know how to listen to Scottish people, but you don't hear me complaining. Oh, <laughs> you, you don't speak Gaelic, though, do you? Uh, no, no one speaks Gaelic. <laughs> Watch our listener base drop off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My hate mail. So, uh... so that comment comes from our good friend Tom. <laughs> yeah, who <laughs> is another step in the wrong direction. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> uh, oh Lord! I think one thing to add there is, um, given that half of the Western world is is Spanish-based, you know, all uh, a good part of South America, all of Central America, Mexico, good part of the USA, Spain. Um, it seems like there's a lot of potential there for interesting, uh, unique takes on the raw denim scene. So like, I'd love to know like, you know, what's the Mexico city, uh, raw denim scene? Like what's the Buenos Aires raw denim scene? Like, um, and I think there's a shop, uh, was it Redcast heritage? Yes. I believe a Madrid based shop. Um, like what's his scene like at his shop. So I think that'd be cool. Awesome. So next up, we've got uh, a question from Rebel Real Cine Club. Uh, what's the ultimate selvage film? And I think that means like, what's the best film about denim? Ah, see, well, I thought it was the best film, which kind of I think, I think showed it, could, it off. I think what showed it off, or maybe who, who you know, which had good outfits. Um, I think maybe if we can each touch upon, you know, their kind of their favorite film with some kind of salvage element i think that would be quite a good uh uh answer to um to that question awesome uh, double whammy question say, have you guys seen uh blue gold the documentary um about uh the guys who go down to mines to kind of like search world denim in the usa mm. i think it's called blue gold yes blue gold uh did it- Go up on Netflix. It's on, I think it's on YouTube, actually. I think oh, okay. I saw it on YouTube. Uh, yeah, maybe I've seen it. I, I feel like that rings a bell. As a denim, that's one film I know that's literally about denim. And as a denim film, that's one that I'd recommend everyone to watch. There's, uh, yeah. Weaving Shabooses might be good as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. that's good. We Did we go watch that in... London, we went to the screening yeah. of that, didn't we? Um, yeah. That was one of the one of yeah. the first uh, hangs, I think, as well. It was. Yeah, yeah that was yeah, good. That was a great event. Yeah, so I, I, I'll say my my one would be uh, I'll go for a classic film, and that would be uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and um, um, Jack Nicholson's character McMurphy. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, sports are a very cool cool outfit. I think which are, a lot of guys uh, probably uh, wear. Um, even to this day, um, and that features like a um, a watch cap, a, a civilian A2 leather jacket, um, chambray shirt, um, 
uh, and of course a pair of uh, Levi's 501. Um, um, so yeah, I think that'll be my my choice. There's that there's that picture that keeps surfacing every now and then of Clint Eastwood as well in double denim. I don't know if you've ever seen that. He sits on that stool. I don't know if it's from a movie or something. I assume it's just from a like a photo shoot it's or something. Photo shoot, yeah. Yeah, but it looks it looks epic though. Like it looks good. Did you see uh, that any- picture of um Sean Connery rocking the um old little salvage turn up in some five oh ones? Like someone pictured him going golfing or something and he's in some like kind of classic five oh ones with a little salvage turn up. It's, nice. Like literally it looks like it could be someone rocking around Soho these days. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Andy? Um see for me, uh I still haven't seen it, but I've heard one film that's meant to be very good for this is called The Sandlot, or I think it's over here known as the yeah. Sandlot Kids. Yeah, so it's um it was made in the nineties. It's based on an old nineteen fifties comic strip. Um and they get the uh period accurate details there spot on. So all the kids are wearing really battered salvage denim and uh like pf flyers and like really kind of old school stuff that was you know what people would wear now but obviously this is like a bunch of 10 year olds running around uh getting up to no good uh so that's one of them um then maybe more leather goods based and i would i say this with a a kind of a pinch of salt because i don't know if everyone this kind of film will be up uh everyone's street but cruising by uh starring al pacino it's a very good film. It's a 1970s uh, thriller about um, a young cop who goes undercover in the New York heavy leather gay scene to find a serial killer. And so the fashions there are, you know, it is because that was that's kind of the scene that is, you know, lots of workwear, leather jackets, engineer boots, uh, tucked into jeans, though. So I know that'll get a few people very upset. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of a it is a bit of a kind of an, an exploitative film maybe on the kind of the, the gay culture, but you know, it is, it is an interesting watch. And, you know, if you watch it as just, you know, a, a bit of a, a thriller, um, it is actually quite a good film. It is floating around on Amazon prime, uh, Arrow, uh, recently released it on Blu-ray. I think it was direct. I'll have to chat. I think it was directed by William Friedkin as well. So, uh, you know, and he, he's behind a lot of excellent movies. So, you know, it's a nice period piece. I'll be recommending this to our friend of the podcast, uh, Jake, uh, almost vintage style. It yes. Like right up his <laughs> with the, uh, engineer boots. Engineer boots and jeans being tucked into them. <laughs> Thinking about more modern kind of stuff, more like lately. Um, I obviously remember the James Bond Rogue Territory um, supply jacket, which obviously mm-hmm. became really famous after that. So now I'm Googling this. It was actually also worn by, uh, what's his name, in Split, James McAvoy mm-hmm. as well for one of their promotional photos and stuff. So, And it seems to be coming up quite a bit in uh, yeah. in movies here and it's there. It's in so. uh, the last Predator movie. Uh, Boyd Holbrook wears a customized version with, um, I think it's like a reinforced shoulder pad. Mm. So he wears one. And then uh, the other one is, I think, the lead from the Sharknado movies wears one all the way throughout it. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> That's where all the budget went. Yeah, exactly. Just a jacket. <laughs> uh, no, it's pretty cool, though, that a brand like that, with a jacket like that, um, pops up in, in big productions here and there. 
And it's interesting too, because you would think it's ba because RGT is based in Los Angeles, but actually apparently the Bond film thing is all about Rivet and Hyde in London. Mm. Like um, one of the costume designers for the new Bond movie, which isn't out yet. Um, she just happened to go into Rivet and Hyde and was kind of just like, oh, you've got neat stuff. And like, oh, this jacket's cool. And then she bought like 10 of them off of uh, Danny and Junior. And that just happened to be how it got into the Bond movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, I should also say too, The Sandlot, uh, as someone who grew up in the States, like that movie was was such a huge part of, of our childhood. Like, I think it came out when I was about 12, like 11 or 12. Um, it's such a classic. It's almost like a Goonies for for the millennial generation. Or um, So folks should see that if they haven't. Um, for my two movies, uh, for one that's probably kind of more on the accurate side, I would say, um, I would probably recommend Bullet. Uh, you know, Steve McQueen, 1970, romping around uh, San Francisco in like a badass uh, Mustang, uh, vintage Mustang Mach 1, I think it was. Um, I don't remember for sure, but I'm guessing he was probably rocking some cool Levi's and stuff, as would be the other characters. And the other thing I'd recommend is a documentary, which I haven't watched it yet, so I'm not fully educated, but called River Blue. Uh, you can watch it online at riverbluethemovie.eco. Uh, and it's basically a documentary about the environmental impact of making jeans. Um, and I think probably all of us in the podcast and listeners should, should watch that to make sure we understand how, how big of an impact we have on the planet uh, with our hobby. Um, I know I need to, to get that done. Uh, I, I don't really know too many, but uh, Gangs of New York has lots of Browns Beach jackets in. That's a good one. Mm. Cool. All right. So cracking on, uh, almost vintage style, who we just mentioned a moment ago, asked us, uh, do you actually notice the difference between sand fries and unsand fries fabric? Yes. Easy answer. Do you like to expand <laughs> on that? <Yeah>. Tom? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for uh, clarifying, Tom. <laughs> like sand fries, it has this particular smell and particular feel that you get with the sand fries in process. The hairs are always kind of like burnt off, um, a lot smoother, a, a lot more processed, if that makes any sense. It's while, a little bit more flatter, isn't it, as well? Yeah. While on sand fries, you get so much more of the different kind of little characteristics that you would from like a proper loom steak fabric. Um, all the hair, you know, there's a lot more of the hairiness to it. Um, I, I just think it's nicer full of fibers and generally it softens up a lot more than sand fries but that's just from my experience with that yeah it's i totally, totally to... agree tom yeah i think it just ha has a little bit more texture to it doesn't it um um and uh yeah it's just it's definitely nicer to uh i think if you, the best way to, to to do it is would be to go into the store and to check both of them side by side um, and I think once you, you see the, the difference um, uh, yourself, um, I think that's that's going to be the best way. It's worth noting, too, that there's um, sanfrization really is kind of a catch all term that really covers three different things normally. So uh, I can't remember which one's which, but there's calendarization, there's mercerization and there's sanfordization. One of them is burning off the, the fur like the hairs. One of them is um, pressing the fabric flat and sanfrization is pre-shrinking it. So like really what you're asking is, do I want a jean that's been pressed super flat, had all the extra fuzzy hairs burnt off and pre-shrunk or one that still has the fur isn't flat and isn't pre-shrunk. So it's, a, it's kind of a, a bit more complicated, but um, yeah. The, 
vast majority of the time it'll be all three. I've seen like a video where the fabric's kind of coming up, fire's being kind of thrown onto the blue side, and then it goes between those two rubber bands with like warmish uh, steam or water or something like that. Um, so usually it's all three, but if a company has specifically said mercerized denim or has specifically stated one of the other two that's not samphorized, then it might be the case that they're not using the actual trademarked samphorizing process. Yeah, so just, just quickly Googling, it looks like calendarization is where they basically squash it between rollers to smooth it. So I'm guessing mercerization, I haven't checked it, is where you burn off the extra. Yeah, I think that's the burn. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it also boils down to whether you want your fabric to have kind of interesting quirkiness and texture versus being like really clean and uniform. Yeah, cool. Uh, next up, we've got Chief's, uh, oh, Chief Snoop Tea God. Uh, so I thought it was Chief Snoop Dog, but it's Chief Snoop Tea God. Uh, ask Levi Selvage or LVC? Do you want something that goes that kind of harks back to the 50s and 60s in a series of capsule collections? Or do you want a pair of jeans? That is salvage. Is it really out of the two? I mean, it's a bit of a narrow question in my opinion. I mean, you don't have to go to Levi's. Uh, but if that's what you're looking at, it just depends what you want, really. Is it correct, though, if you buy Levi's salvage, you're basically just talking about LVC or uh, Levi's Made and Crafted, which is like their modern designs anyway. No, like those are the only two no. buckets. No, normal Levi's, because think about 501 strength fits. A lot of some of them will be salvage. They do have some salvage flowing yeah, about in uh, normal Levi's. It's just harder to find. I've seen, like, I think 511 salvage, which is their slim cut. So it's kind of like their kind of basic standard range construction. It might be that they've just used like a Chinese salvage or a Turkish salvage. Um, I think they used to occasionally do like a cone mills run in their main line and their made and crafted is usually, you know, they try and do something a little bit out of the ordinary. And I found their construction and rivets and stuff like that's a little bit better in made and crafted. Um, and then LBC, we all know LBC. I think it, it's mostly kind of what cut you prefer and what you're comfortable in and how much you kind of want to spend on a pair of jeans. So if you're happy in kind of like the main line stuff and, you know, 5.11 or, the modern 501 fits for you, then that's absolutely fine. Wear that. I've seen some great fades on them. Um, but obviously, if you want to get a little bit geekier with it, then I'd maybe go to LVC. But that's if the cuts work for you. And the next question from Oil and Sawdust, they asked if we're planning to feature Heb Troco, which is the Hebden Trouser Company, in a future episode. I think it's just quickly worth mentioning that um, we haven't really got into the whole guest uh, aspect of the pod podcast yet. Um, we're still trying to kind of find our groove, I think, as a, as a group of podcasters, but uh, longer term, I think we definitely want to have some guests. And Heb Troco makes uh, garments in the UK, so they're definitely a, a good candidate. So I think uh, stay tuned for that one. Yeah, I'd maybe say they're kind of not too into the heritage style. It's very basic construction and stuff. Um, nothing too special or exotic you know yeah obviously rate them for doing uk made because that's what i'm doing um but it, it it's more kind of mainstream stuff yeah and i will say personally like i don't really get into the heritage look so much um i do appreciate heritage construction techniques and like doing stuff in a way that makes it 
last longer or be made better. So in that sense, it's, it's interesting in the sense of like, are they doing things that make their garments uh, interesting and last longer? Um, but I know some, some folks care more about vintage than, and heritage than others. Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, like I'm not saying everyone should have 30 star looking jeans. It's just making them to the level and the attention to detail that heritage style or premium style brands would do. Like, you know, I wouldn't put Hevtroco in the same vein as 316 or someone like that. You know, not reach that level, I don't think, in attention to detail. Like the kind of the construction of their trousers is very basic. Lots of bar tacking and stuff like that. Um, it's essentially the guys who started it worked in PR before. They're not designers or they're not clothes makers. They are selling a story, basically. Same with high art denim. They're not the guy who started it. It wasn't a jean maker or you know didn't know anything particularly about making jeans. He's just a guy from PR that is selling a story of jeans made in Wales. Yes, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, that some of the brands that are the most geeky about the construction details and, and the makesmanship are oftentimes the ones who you don't hear much about them because they're, they're so focused on the makesmanship and the craftsmanship and the details that like, they're not necessarily, you know, great marketeers or great uh, public relations persons, but they're just making great stuff. Um, so you often got to hunt for those kind of more less uh, obvious brands. Next one, uh, Yorkshire Denim asks us about stepping away from denim, which brand or model of boots do you prefer? Is the choice down to comfort or style? Um, I first want to mention before we go into this question that uh, we did cover that a little bit in episode four, where we all talked about our, our own favorite boots. So I think that's probably a, a, great, a great discussion topic to go back to, but I don't know if folks have anything they want to add to that. Not really, we can do a quick fire. Like really quickly say a brand and comfort or style. So for me, it would be Red Wing style or RM style and comfort. <laughs> really? Yeah, I second the RMs definitely. Um, that's they're kind of like my smart boots and my comfortable. I can like walk hours and hours. Um, but then it'll be either Red Wing or Thoroughgood. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say it. You got to kind of weigh comfort and style. You can't be too negative in one <laughs> or the other. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, for me, I've got a pet peeve of like if boots slide on the heel. Um, and so a boot that's got a good curvature that like fits the shape of your heel is really important to me. And though they're quite expensive, both uh, Viberg and Alden are great at making an ergonomic shaped boot. So they end up just being more comfortable. But for value, obviously, I'd go for Red Wing. Uh, I'd personally go for John Lofgren, um, both in comfort style and just overall, I think, craftsmanship. Um, that would be my, my choice. And I think John I, Lofgren uh, is aware of our podcast and, and, and kind of follows us. So shout out to he and his brand. Yes, John. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably say uh, chip, chip away as their particular comfort, comfort and style. Can't beat them. So Made in Texas. Well, thanks everyone for uh, tuning in to episode five of the Sons of Selvage podcast. As always, please rate and review us on your platform of choice for your podcasts. Um, follow us on Instagram and feel free to shoot us any emails uh, you, if you want to get in touch at sonsofselvagepodcast at gmail.com and speak to you guys again uh, shortly.